MSW Media. A census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. This month, February 2021, marks the 30th anniversary of the release of one of the greatest movies of all time, The Silence of the Lambs. And I happen to have a personal history with this film that I have never spoken about publicly for fear of some sort of repercussions that now seem pretty silly. 30 years ago, I guess it would have been 31, 32 years ago, I was a lad in college, and I was working at a hotel in Philadelphia called The Rittenhouse. They were making a movie in Philadelphia called Philadelphia, directed by Jonathan Demme, starring Tom Hanks and Denzel Washington. The cast and crew were all staying at The Rittenhouse. We got to know them a little bit. Now, back in the day, how it worked there, I was a bellman at the hotel, and when people got deliveries, you go up and you let yourself in their room if they weren't there, and you just leave it on the desk or, or whatnot. So one day, it was a package for Jonathan Demi, the director, and they, they were out shooting the movie. I took the package up to his room, went to place it on the desk, and there I saw a stack of screenplays. Now, I'd never seen a screenplay before, let alone read one. So I picked up the first one on the top of the pile, and I just started flipping through it. I read the first 10 pages, and I was hooked. So then I spent the rest of the day inventing reasons to go up to that floor and letting myself into Jonathan Demi's room. And I realized this is creepy. I know this sounds so creepy, but I, I needed to finish this script. And I read the whole thing that day, uh, front to back. And of course, it was Silence of the Lambs. And I didn't know it at the time, but that set in motion me eventually leaving Philadelphia because I was so fascinated by this screenplay and by this script. And then the idea of Hollywood took hold. And eventually I did end up moving out here to Los Angeles. Again, I've never told this story publicly. I don't know. I was maybe afraid they'd like write me up retroactively, go on my permanent record at the Rittenhouse Hotel. So if anybody out there from the cast and crew, Jonathan Demi, unfortunately, passed away. So I'm not worried that he's going to file charges about me creeping into his room. <laughs> but if anybody out there from the Rittenhouse Hotel hears this and gets pissed off, I'm sorry. I apologize. I know I shouldn't have done it. But it, you know, changed my life for the better. So there's that. Speaking of Hollywood, coming up, we've got the creator of one of the greatest TV shows, one of the successful TV shows of all time. Everybody loves Raymond. Phil Rosenthal is going to be joining us in just a few minutes. But first, we've got some breaking news about booze. Breaking, breaking news. news. 
Joining me now, what we're drinking with Dan Dunn's chief international correspondent here to tell us about some breaking news out of Japan. Please welcome Brad Jaffe. Brad? Dan, thanks so much for having me. I just flew all the way in. Boy, are my arms tired. Uh, you, you're, you're, you're hot. You, you've been on the trail of this story that is it's huge news in the industry. Yeah. I don't even want to delay. Just tell us what's happening with Japanese whiskey. Yeah, I mean, look, if you are a whiskey drinker, then it actually is big news. You know, you could kind of joke around about these things. But like for, for whiskey drinkers, this is kind of huge news because one of the dominant styles of categories of whiskey over the past couple of years has been Japanese whiskey. It's just gone flying off the shelves. Connoisseur, connoisseurs can't get enough of it. And um, what we've learned, and I was, uh, you know, one of the people reporting on this a couple of years ago, we talked about it in 2019, I believe on your show, was that there were really no rules. It was kind of like the Wild West in that you could just uh, have any whiskey that you want come from anywhere in the world. And as long as you're bottling it in Japan, you could still call it Japanese whiskey. So to clarify on that, they could purchase whiskey from Scotland or Canada or America, and then they yeah. bring it over there. And then is there... Anything beyond bottling it there that had to happen? No, no, no. And there's, in fact, there was circumstances where people were just setting up LLCs or whatever the equivalent is in Japan at the port and just literally bringing in totes of whiskey and then just putting it into the bottle right there at the port and then just sending it back out. It's Japanese whiskey now, you know? Well, as we talked about on that episode that you're referencing a while back, there's some pretty well-known brands that were doing this as well, like where, where people would be surprised to go, oh, this... This, I don't know if I would say iconic, but this very well-known brand really didn't have anything to do. <laughs> Japan had very little to do with the production of this whiskey, right? In the worst case scenario, you would see somebody bringing in something entirely from another country and then labeling it as Japanese whiskey. None of the major producers were doing that. What we've seen from some of the major producers is that they would incorporate uh, a component of their blend with the Japanese whiskey that they had made themselves. And so basically the long and short of the big news is that this week, uh, an, an, a trade organization in Japan called the Japanese Spirits and Liqueurs Makers Association, uh, basically their equivalent of, if your listeners know, Discus, which is the distilled... Uh, Spirits Council, and it's the mar- it's the it's the lobbying wing of the, the spirits industry in Washington, exactly. D.C., so, yeah. So this is the Japanese analog for that, basically. And they finally pushed forward a uh, piece of legislation uh, that we're expecting the Japanese government to adopt as well uh, that says that, in fact, if you're going to make something called Japanese whiskey, it needs to come from Japan, be made in Japan. And if it doesn't, then you're going to have to take that word Japanese whiskey off of the label. And they give them a a nice little grace period. They'll have until March 31st, 2024 to be able to take their products off the shelf. So three years from now. Three years from now. Yeah. And so now by 2024, by the way, we're not just talking about not calling it Japanese whiskey. What's funny about this is like you won't be able to reference like Japanese culture on the label. You can't have the Japanese flag on there with the this, the rising sun. No, no kanji. There can't be anything on this label that evokes the culture of Japan if you're making even a portion of that whiskey from outside of Japan. So who does this impact? I think Centauri is probably the, the best known Japanese whiskey, and that is all made in Japan, right? 
Centauri is the number one producer out of the things that they sell on the shelf here. Their people have confirmed that it won't affect anything that they have on the shelf here. That includes everything from Toki, which is their very grain forward product that they have here, uh, all the way up to Yamazaki 25, which, you know, you could be lucky to get that for $5,000 a bottle right now. Now, what surprised people was that the day after this announcement came into play, Nika, which is the number two producer, put on their website that, hey, actually, this does affect a couple of our products that are in the United States, notably uh, Nika Days, which was, again, like kind of like their Toki, a grain-forward kind of lighter whiskey. So nobody really cared that much about that. But the one that it did kind of surprise some people was Nika from the Barrel, which is a whiskey that's won some awards. Whiskey Advocate in 2018 named it its number one whiskey of the year. And at that point, it kind of flew off shelves. So what they've done by stepping in front of this and letting people know, actually, you know, there's a little bit of scotch in this blend. They're surprising people because they're not going to change the formula. They're going to instead, after 2024 or presumably immediately, they're going to just call it blended whiskey. They're going to take Japan off the label because they feel stronger about the overall blend and the flavor of the blend than they do about the importance of keeping the word Japanese whiskey on the label. Well, that that brings up an interesting point, Brad, is how does this impact the other countries that were supplying product to Japan? Yeah. So I would say for my research, the number one export has been export market has been Canada, actually, because if you really want to get geeky, I don't know how geeky your listeners want to get, but blended whiskey tends to be a, a blend of when the word blend comes from a grain component and a malt component. Okay. The malt is like the hardier kind of more flavorful stuff. And the grain is kind of the lighter filler. Okay. In Japan, a lot of these producers are making the, the malt there, but they need that filler to fluff it up. But there's not a lot of, you need these big industrial facilities to make that grain spirit. And there aren't a lot of them in Japan. So that's what they've been importing. And so that's why they don't even think that it's a dirty word that they're importing this stuff from other countries. Cause it's like, look, like if you talk to any Japanese whiskey producer, they're going to tell you that the real joy isn't from the real art isn't from necessarily the making of the whiskey Provenance doesn't mean as much to them as blending does. That's the real art. So you could get whiskey from wherever, as long as you're blending it together there in Japan with the the real expertise of these master blenders, that's the art to them. What were the forces behind this? Who drove this? I would like to say me and you uh, (laughs) discussing it on your program. Might have been it. No, but I mean, who's got something to gain from this happening? Uh, well, I mean, the big players for sure, because they're threatened, the integrity of the category is threatened by these uh, upstarts that could come in without owning any distilleries or anything and just bought, you know, packaging up something that says Japanese whiskey. To me, the, the shocking thing and to most people that have followed this isn't that it happened. It was inevitable. It's that it took such a, a long while for it actually to happen. You know, that's kind of the surprising part. So in other words, there were these these people that were just kind of fly-by-night operations coming in doing this, and they're bringing down the overall sort of impression that people have of the category. Inevitably, that was going to be the case, right? Because I don't know what it's like at your local bottle shop, but if something on a shelf has, you know, kanji lettering on it, it looks like it's from Japan, you know, you could sell that for for a pretty penny, and and it commands attention at the very least. People are going to ask about it right now because Japanese whiskey is just so hot. So, so right it's three, basically you're talking about three years from now they have to comply with this. Yeah. So 
if if you they're just trying to be a little bit uh, graceful and giving some leeway because remember this is a trade organization that represents all the big producers in Japan. So what they're doing is extending a little leeway. If you have product on shelf right now that happens to work this blend into it, they're giving you a little bit of time to be like, you know what? It takes time to age whiskey as we know. So we'll give you three years to start aging uh, whiskey in, you know, grain whiskey or whatever component here in Japan, or you can decide to take the word Japan and kanji lettering and anything Japanese related off of the label. But you have plenty of time to decide that. It would seem to me, for the from a consumer standpoint, does does this auger for higher prices for Japanese whiskey? I think it might. Dan is like the the interesting part is that if you are somebody that's making legitimate bona fide Japanese whiskey right now, all of a sudden you're all you're that much more rare, right? Because the imposters have now been stripped from the shelves. So yeah. I would say that. But the thing that we're going to have to see as a follow-up to this is this is the first step in a process. The next step is that the Japanese government adopts it and then it becomes works its way into international trade agreements by way of, and now again, we're getting geeky, but we have our own taxation and trade bureau here, TTB in the United States. They recognize American whiskey, obviously bourbon and rye and, and all of our categories. They recognize internationally Irish whiskey, scotch, and Canadian. And when you look at the rules for TTB, they defer to what those countries say those products are. So in our guidelines, we're like, whatever Scotch, whatever Scotland says Scotch is, we will accept that. And we honor that. And if somebody comes into the United States and tries to sell something that is not Scotch, according to Scotch rules, they can't do that. And once Japan agrees on what Japanese whiskey is, which again, they have not done until we're seeing the first steps of it this week, until they do that, then our TTB can't you know, follow up with anything. So once Japan settles on, okay, this is what Japanese whiskey is, then certainly our TTB is going to be like, okay, this is Japanese whiskey. If anybody tries to sell something that is not what they say it is, it can't be done. So there's some breaking news there on Japanese, but while we have you, Brad, because you're, you are on, you're always, you're on the tip. You always know what's happening. Last time we had you on, there was a different administration in place here in the United States. And that administration had imposed some tariffs and and whatnot that really took a toll. So while I have you real quick, what has the Biden administration coming in meant in terms of all of these tariffs, particularly with, with stuff coming in from Europe and whatnot, what can consumers expect to see, or or will they see any changes now that the Trump administration is out? I'm assuming these tariffs are going to be wiped away, right? That that they had imposed or, or are they? Well, I mean, we haven't seen movement immediately. There is hope, of course, that with a new government and a new administration, because it, it does fall upon the office of the United States Trade Representative, the USDR, is uh, an adjunct of the executive branch of government. So we have a new USDR. So that does bode well for there being a new uh, way of looking at things and, and kind of toning down these trade wars. But if we're getting into the genesis of what created these tariffs, it actually is this long-standing battle over airlines, over airline manufacturing and Boeing versus Airbus. Yes. And so really that's the, the heart of it. The alcohol has actually been collateral damage from that at its core. So there's been no indicator right away that the, the Biden administration is going to say, you know what, like, let's do away with this. But I do think that generally speaking, they show more of an embrace of tariffs are bad 
and the more international free trade that we have, good. So I do expect, and I think the alcohol uh, lobby and the, the organizations that on behalf of all of the alcohol lobbies uh, feel as though this does bode well for a toning down of the tariffs that we've seen over the past couple of years. Brad Jaffe, always on top of things. If you want to check out, he's got an article in Bloomberg. Google that about Japanese whiskey. Any other places? You, you written any other stories? Yeah, you know, Wall Street Journal. Um, I don't know. Tons of different stuff. Look up Jaffe, J-A-P-H-E. Uh, there's no imposters for me yet. I don't need my own uh, classification uh, protection. So, no, yeah. Uh, no, the, you're, you're an original, man. Uh, Brad, thanks, man, as always, for the great reporting. And uh, get back out there, man. The world needs you. Friends, I want to tell you about an exciting new thing I'm doing on an app called Stereo. Stereo is the social media app for the podcasting world. This forum, what you're hearing right now, is a one-way street. I talk, you listen. But when I broadcast on Stereo, you get to join the conversation live by pressing a button, recording a message, and hitting send. And me and my co-host, who usually is actor Colin Donnell, will play the message and respond to it. It's fun! And Colin and I usually do that every Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific time. Usually, I say. But if you want to find out when for sure I'm doing things, get the app, Stereo, download it. Follow me, at Dan Dunn. That's my name. Again, Stereo app. Follow at Dan Dunn, and you'll get the updates. This is your chance to fire away with any and all questions you've been wanting to ask me. So do it. You'll be happy. Joining me now... Two gentlemen, you know, I can't get enough of them. They're on the show often, and I am a, uh, I, I'm glad for that. And uh, first up, he's a Emmy-winning writer, comedian, one of the best photographers I know, too. Very underrated photographer. You hear about Herb Ritz, you hear about Annie Leibovitz, but do you ever hear about Tom Caltabiano? You should, because he's a good photographer. Tom, how are you, my friend? Uh, I am good, Dan. I'm taking all of those compliments yeah, well, you know, it's not often that I lay that kind of lay that kind of praise out. Uh, now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to really lay it on our next guest. He is the creator, star, somebody feed Phil. He also the creator of Everybody Loves Raymond, but we know he wasn't the star of that. He was the creator of that. But somebody feed Phil. Everybody loves Raymond. Uh, exporting Raymond, one of my favorite documentaries. He's been on this show a bunch of times. You know him. You love him, ladies and gentlemen. Wherever you're at, I want you to stop and clap for Phil Rosenthal, unless you're driving. Phil Rosenthal, hey, ho. That means you too, Tom. Clap. You don't oh, get uh, sorry. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, here we go, Phil. And where Tom is underrated, I am quite overrated. <laughs> get out of here. How are you guys? It's good to see both of you. I'm so happy to be getting wasted on your show again. <laughs> here we go. I, I commented to Phil before we went on. I think the last time we did this together, we did a tequila segment. And Ooh, I, I don't good. think any of us imagined the next time we would be doing this, we'd still be doing it over Zoom because we can't do it in person. Yeah, that's going to change soon, I think. I mean, I would even say that the next time we do this, if you want us back, let's see how this goes. Yeah. But if you want us back, we'll do an outdoor version where we're safely distanced, but at least we're in the same area. This is why he's created two iconic shows. So that kind of I was I'm thinking. like a producer. Yeah, you it's like you it's like you know what you're doing, uh, Phil. So guys, what we're drinking on what we're drinking today is I have to tell you one of my favorite not only whiskeys in the world, but one of my favorite spirits in the world. 
my love of this whiskey goes so deep, I named my dog Boona Hobbin. Boona Hobbin is my... Boona Hobbin. Well, she goes by Boona, but... By the way, I never knew how to say this. Until just now. Because it looks like Boona Hobbin. It's B-U-N-N-A-H-A-B-H-A-I-N. It's Boona Hobbin. Some people do that B at the end, like almost like a V. It sounds so good. It yeah. sounds almost Yiddish. <laughs> it does. You, you, you said it like Jerry Lewis. So first off, before we get into it, I want to, let's have, let's raise a toast. It's great to see you both. I've got I'm going to do a little neat here in a Glen Karen glass. I got a, I didn't open mine yet. Oh, yeah, okay. I, uh, Tell them how Dan, it works if you're right. a guest on the show. We don't have a speed pourer in ours like you do. I got I have assistance yeah. here to pour for me. So while they're doing that, I'll, when you're a guest, when you're a guest uh, on what we're drinking, tell them what happens. What what happens? I don't even know. I've never been a guest. <laughs> I've only been the host. Someday. Well, you send me the- a thing, say, expect the delivery. What Phil's alluding to is he woke up one morning and there seemed to be a package at his door. Ah, that happens. And this is why you want to be a guest on Dan's show, because <laughs> Buna Haben comes to my door, 12-year-old, beautiful, single malt, scotch. And listen, everybody, listen. Oh, oh, you know what that is? The sound of Irish happiness. Call. Well, this is Scotch, and, uh, but yeah, uh, Scotland. Yeah. But uh, it's just the sound. Oh, thing. I didn't know. I don't know. I don't Here know. Here we these go. Expressions. Glug, glug, bottoms up. Oh, yeah. Oh, listen, I love a glug, glug, don't you? Now, now Phil's pouring it over. I like ice. a big rock. Yeah. You like a big rock, guys? I got it on. I got it both. I have it in a Glencairn glass, which is, you know, the tube, tulip looking glass, which is good for nosing it and getting the. I like to try it neat at first because I, I, I want to get the pure flavor of the whiskey. But when I'm enjoying it, it you know, I'm, I, uh, yeah, I like it on a big rock. When you have it at a bar. You ask absolutely. Well, I'll, uh, yeah, okay, but at home, if Pretty I'm sitting much. at home right now, I'm going to be drinking it like you're drinking it, Phil, and I have it that way as well. So, cheers. Now you don't. You want to taste it completely straight. You don't want even a drop of water in there. Initially, no. It, no like, so yeah. you know, you've gone all over, and I've done. We've all done the distilleries. What what you yeah. would do normally if you if you were to go to Isla, which is an island off the west coast of Scotland where Boonahaben is located, and if you visited the distillery, they would give it to you neat, straight up knows it, sip it, but then they'll almost always, and every master distiller I know in Scotland will mm-hmm. do this, will almost always put a little cold a little cold water in there, open it That's up right. a little bit, just just right. to take, you know, just to take the oomph out of the alcohol oomph out of it a little bit. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. So cheers, boys. Cheers. Mm-mm. So I'll tell you a little bit about it. Bunahabin, as I mentioned, is what means in Gaelic it means mouth of the river. And that's because it's located in the at the Margadale Spring on the shores of the Sound of Isla. Have you either of you guys been to Isla in Scotland? No, I've only been to been. Edinburgh in Scotland. Edinburgh. I've never been to the. Okay, so Isla is where the peatier scotches in the world come from. Although Boonahabin isn't a particularly peaty scotch, but Ardbeg and Laphroaig and Lagavulin, all of these massively peaty scotches are located on Isla, which is essentially one giant peat bog. So this is mild. This is milder than it, will you, what do you think, Phil? I mean, I'd love to hear your, I think it's milder than, you know, Lafroig is like, that's serious. Yeah. In terms you're, of the peat you're talking about. That's a, that's like yeah. firepower, right? This, this is a much, uh, it still has a bite to it. I think. Do you think so, Tom? Uh, yeah, it's, it's less peaty, but it's, uh, uh, very delicious because it it's like delicious. 
the peaties the peatiness is knocked down a little but it it's is so it's so uh, it's isla in a subtle and smooth way but it still has like a like a you know yes it grabs you it does yeah it does what, by the way but uh, uh dan we raced past the bottle the bottle is so beautiful and i don't think can you could watch the eclipse of the sun through this bottle it is <laughs> it's <laughs> opaque <laughs> it's so dark I love that. You cannot tell the color of the spirit through that bottle. And I But the darker I, the bottle, which I didn't know, the less sun gets to the bottle and the less it affects the, the what's inside, right? Yes. Over time, but, yeah. but Dan's never had a bottle affected by time because By it the never way, I'm gonna lasts. have to go. I'm gonna have to go because I'm drunk already. <laughs> <laughs> there it is already happening. Um It's a powerful spirit. Can this be can this be your picture, by the way, for the it's that, there it is. There it is. I like that look. Though. So there's a mariner on the bottle, and that's a big part of it, because in the early years, Buna Haben, Buna Haben's been around since 1883, and in the early years, obviously, it's it's on an island. The sea trade, it was completely dependent on the sea trade, and the, the, the pier is where everything came in and out at Buna Haben. And then in 1930, the brand, in, in the wake of world the Great War, World War One, they closed down. But... Seven years later, and this is a story you guys have heard over and over in in with distilleries that closed in the early part of the 20th century. Prohibition in the states killed distilleries all over the world. But seven years later, it opened, so it wasn't closed very long. And then in 1960, there was a big breakthrough there. And this is crazy: they built a road, <laughs> and the road, a road, an actual modern. road that went modern, yeah. all the modern conveniences. And then the road really. They were able to get supplies in and do this. And then in 1979, they introduced the, the whiskey we're drinking right now, guys, which is the 12-year-old. And that was their yeah. that's their flagship signature whiskey. They've got tons of different whiskeys now in the range, but the but the 12-year-old is the one that they basically built their reputation on. If you name your dog Bunahaban, uh you're gu- you've guaranteed the dog will live at least 12 years. That's right. I'm, I'm going for more. I'm hoping, you know, yeah. well, they got to, they you have wanna, a, you want to get a, uh, an 18 year old. The one I was drinking when I named her was the 25 year old, which is oh, truly a, good. which is I've, one I've of the world's it. great whiskeys. I don't yes. have any, I don't have any illusions that my, my dear girl here's going to live to 25. But, uh, you know, if we could get, if we could get half plus a couple more years, I'll be happy. So, Phil, I want to try something here. You have been all over. You've tried food all over the world. Close your eyes, take a sip of that whiskey, and imagine you are anywhere in the world you want to be. It could be a restaurant, a place. What are, where are you, and what are you eating with this scotch? I'm at Peter Luger's in okay. Brooklyn, and I'm having the whole steakhouse experience at Peter Luger's. I always start my steakhouse experience with a scotch. I just think it goes great with it. I'd rather have a scotch than a red wine with the steak dinner. I just think scotch and steak is a great uh, pairing and it goes with everything else too. The, the hash browns, the cream spinach, you know, even the bacon to start and the, are you with me? I am. The, the, the the giant steak fries, the the tomato and onion salad, oh, right? You've been to Peter Luger. Right, I've been to Peter Luger. Yeah. Oh man, I, so you're making me you hungry. Start with a, <laughs> do you start with a scotch? 
at at Luger's? I do love I do love a scotch with steak. I don't know, you know, it's been many years since I've been to Peter Luger and I I think the last time I was there was when my first book came out. So that would have been 2007. So it's been a long time. Well, Tom and I've been there a few times together. I I I you know, I don't speak for Tom, uh but I think it's one of our favorite uh, restaurant experiences in the can, world. Can I tell you, uh, Dan, something that Phil did, which was really smart. The first, uh, when Ray was hosting SNL the first time, Phil said, I'm going to take you to Peter Luger's. I think it was you that initiated it, Phil. Yeah. Okay. And with, so, the, with the with some of the guys. Yeah, so Jimmy right? Fallon. Who, who, who are treated so terribly, I have to yeah. say. They don't feed those people. They're the like biggest slaves. stars on television, and they have to fend for themselves for dinner, and they usually just order a pizza. So and so and then when we got there, I was like, this has to change. OK, so I think I think what happened, Dan, that Phil did is we have this first kickoff dinner with Steve Higgins, who's the who was the head writer. Jimmy Fallon is there. You know, he's just a cast, not just a cast member, but he's just a cast member. OK. And other people. And you're coming in from the outside onto their turf. And that dinner set such a tone of friendliness and cooperation that the whole week, because we heard it from other people, they wanted, they, we're going to help you succeed in every way. We're going to give you heads up. Here's where, you're, here's the trap. Here's where you're going to fail. We're going to prevent you from failing. So that one dinner, which had a lot of scotch poured in it, at it, <laughs> uh, that really set the tone for this whole week for Ray's uh, uh, appearance. And the second time Ray was on SNL, we did not do that. And it was a complete failure. <laughs> no. You're, you're not wrong. I don't know if it was because the cast had changed drastically from that season to the next season, but I know that we got sketches on the first season and we didn't get sketches on the next one. Sketches we wrote got on yes. to the first season and yeah. sketches we wrote the second time Ray appeared, which was like two years later, did not get on. But setting the tone with Scotch and that bonding well, it sets experience. a tone of friendship, doesn't it? And, and to this day, those guys talk about it. Like when I see Will Ferrell, he talks about it. Or 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 Jimmy even yeah, or I, I, uh, Horatio Sands I think was with us too yes, right yeah yeah Any, and anybody else that was fun yeah somewhere but Peter pictures. Luger's you know when I have a when I have a beautiful Scotch I, and usually at Luger's they don't have a giant selection I'm very happy with Glenlivet I really love it it's great for for restaurants uh, if you if you're not sure what to get every restaurant has that right sure and it's perfectly one great. of the most widely distributed scotches in the world for sure yes and i love it this is now by the way tell me if i'm wrong as the ice melts it okay. gets way smoother doesn't it the bite is gone and i'm tasting this beautiful kind of wood peaty but not overly peaty smooth beautiful drink mm -hmm. i get there's a nuttiness to this and there's also I, there's a little bit of fruit notes too that i think as the ice starts to take over, you're able to identify those a little bit more and, and some, maybe a little bit of uh, toffee. Anybody getting that? I would say yeah, a toffee, maybe. but yeah. As soon uh, as you uh, say uh, it, you know, it's the power suggestion. As soon a, as you say the word. Yes. You know, people start toffee, doing yes. thing, uh, chocolate pudding. Yes, yep. there oh, is chocolate pudding. How about a giraffe walking by? Yes, I'm I getting that. I smell that. that. I, I actually wrote about this in uh, a thing about wine tasting in my in my last book. I, I wrote about once you get the crowd, there are the adjectives that you can use that are full foolproof. And then once you bring them in, right. and then, and maybe you're you're an expert in one area, and once you get them hooked, you can say 
anything. It's like I'm picking up hints of yak wool. None of these people have ever seen a yak in their life, but you're like, are you guys getting wet yak wool? Yeah, yeah, kind of. <laughs> never seen a yak. You've never seen it. You don't even know what a That's yak funny. is. Is it an animal? Is it a bird? What's a goddamn yak? They can't tell you, but they'll nod and go, yes, I, I, I see what you're saying there. But I but, think people underestimate the, the power of the water. Of the water in the scotch. Yes. What it does that's to it, it. it. That's right. That's right. The that way opens. a wine opens up to the air, I think the scotch, the water to the scotch is the equivalent. Do you ever drink it neat, Phil? Or do you always put a little water yeah. or a cube in there? I used to because I didn't know better. But the moment I added a drop or two of water or, or a big rock, which I like, uh, the experience was better. For me, uh, I, I will say this: Phil had us join a Scotch malt whiskey society at Rose Raymond, and we went to a big event, at the Fairmont Hotel in Santa Monica. And there's all these guys in skirts, and we're all tough Americans, and they're pouring directly from the cask, and they're like, you know, they're basically saying, "Here, let's put a dropper or two of water, some water in there." And we're like, you know, we're so we don't need water. We we know what we're doing there. <laughs> and they were like, "Really, seriously, guys, you ignoramuses, yeah. put right. some drops of water in it." And it helped so much, and we fought it at first because it seemed like no, you don't want to. It seemed like you were cutting the drugs. (laughs) Yes, it's like your jerk moment. What would you like? So, give me the freshest wine you've got. (laughs) (laughs) None of that old stuff. Um, That's exactly it. This is a uh, just so we know. I always like to impart some knowledge on this show, and 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 this is a uh, this is a non chill filtered scotch are you guys familiar with chill filtration and and what it is zero phil so basically when you when you have a whiskey and it goes from the barrel and it goes into the bottle it's not in it's not in the best it's not pristine there's a there's sediment there's fatty acids esters there's a lot of things in there now with whiskeys that are below fatty Esther is there fatty Esther. I, I knew her. That was my aunt's, my old aunt's <laughs> friend. Yeah. And so whiskeys <laughs> that are lower in than 46% alcohol by volume, these, sometimes these chemical compounds that are in there can make it hazy when it gets, when it gets chilled, you've probably seen the haze gets in there and it's, it's purely an aesthetic thing, uh, not purely, but for pr- primarily when they remove that, when they want to remove the haze, it's for aesthetic reasons. And that's where, why they chill filter. And it's exactly what it sounds like. They basically lower the temperature of the whiskey to a, a couple of degrees below freezing. And then at that temperature, yeah. the whiskey's still liquid. But some of these compounds that, that make the haze happen, they clump together. And then they filter. They chill filter it. Excuse me, Scotch. Sorry, I can't help myself. Uh, it's exciting too. I was thinking about Peter Luger, and it makes me excited. So then they filter this, and they filter with all kinds of stuff. It could be paper, it could be uh, seashells, crushed up seashells, and that removes these compounds and that sediment, if you want to call it. And that is what chill filtration is. And you'll get a whiskey that's going to be clear when you when you chill it. Now, a lot of whiskey makers believe that it also removes flavor. So what you're seeing now with a lot a lot of these places is a movement away from chill filtration. This is not chill filtered, so it might be cloudy, but the the whiskey maker believes that it it there's some good stuff in there that's not being taken filled. It's very similar to when you un, unfiltered wine as well. I don't notice it. I don't see it. I wouldn't care if it was. Tom's very into aesthetics, so I think Tom if they do it for people like Tom that would get very upset if they see. Does any that look hazy to you, Tom? Say that no, it does not look hazy at all. 
It looks and, like a beautiful color to me. Yeah. I, I will say, Dan, do you have any clue how they get this balance of not so peaty and yet filled with flavor and a hint of peatiness? They don't. Besides I the, would tell you that, Tom, but then, of course. Uh, you'd have to comb your I'd hair. have to know what I'm talking about. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So uh, <laughs> I, how do they get the balance? Well, I mean, obviously, so how where the peat flavor comes from in a scotch is when, they're, when they're, they malted the barley and then they have to, malting it involves wetting it so it begins to germinate and then you stop it at that process and then they heat they have to dry the barley how they do that and especially on isla old school still done is the barley is spread out on a floor that has little tiny grates in there and below it they burn peat and the peat smoke is how they dry the barley but all that good earthy peaty flavor gets inside that barley and that's where it comes from. So they're just not they're simply not drying it with as much peat as say, you know, Ardbeg or you know, right. uh, Lagavulin is a very heavily peated scotch. I think the most peated scotch in the world is the Octomore. Have you ever had the Octomore? No, but for me the the Lagavulin is has the most powerful flavor of any spirit I've ever had. And do you enjoy that or is it a little too much for you? you got to take it in, for me, very small doses. This Bunahabin 12 especially, and again, there are so many different Bunahabin uh, expressions in their portfolio, but this 12, this is a very, I don't want to make it seem like it's overly simple, simple but it's a very drinkable scotch it's not a, it's not yeah. a scotch it's a scotch for people that just want to have a you want to have a good couple of glasses at the end of the day you don't want to be like phil said you don't want to get blown away by too much peat and and i'm with you phil i there are times yeah. where i'd love there's scotch called a peat monster i i, I want to try that i like it it's fitting that moment but you cannot it's not a session scotch. That's for damn sure. You're not going to sit down and go, let me have like three or four glasses of that. It's just too little much. Little sips. Yeah. Little sips of something that you really want to grab your attention. You know, let's say you've had a very dull day. That's <laughs> going to, that's going to, that's going to make it a, an event. I, I would dare say if you want your kid never to touch alcohol again at an early age, you make them drink Lagavulin. It's like a clockwork orange. They're never going to go near it again. Not that Scotland's known for their cuisine, but ha- have you done haggis? Have you done haggis over there? Uh, uh, yes, when I went personally and had it, and I liked it. You know, there's good, just like everything, there's good and bad. I'll bet there's one that I would be revolted by, right? Okay. But, but then if you go to a fine restaurant, they've, they've made it nice. They've made it good. The haggis. Yeah. You've never had a good one? Uh, I've had haggis, and I, I didn't, it didn't... <laughs> It didn't uh, make me. It wasn't revolting. That's a resounding, <laughs> a resounding yes, right there. I, they put that on the package. <laughs> it's not revolting. Um, there's yeah. other things. There are certainly the other. Thing. There are other staples of the Scottish diet that I think I, I like better. <laughs> but it's it's all about it's all about seasoning, you know. Yeah. And and a, a chef will know. Oh, that flavor that might be offensive to a sensitive palate, right? And and let's say an American palate. It's not used to growing up here and doesn't understand the 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 wonderful, uh, powerful flavors of offal, right? They can mellow it. You still, by the way, you still don't want to know what it is. Offal, just to should elaborate a little bit on that because what is in that? Guts. It's the guts. If it's, it's not good, stuff. if it's not good, it's offal. 
Right. <laughs> Sorry, they, they, can I? This is why I never yeah, was a yeah. writer on Raymond. Damn it! It's usually the the cheapest cuts, the stuff that the butcher would throw away because people don't eat that, and then there are people who love that because it's usually very pungent and very powerful, and and not for the sensitive palate, right? Yeah. Plus, it's, it looks horrible. <laughs> Yeah, it's not appetizing in any way. It's it, not the breast. It of does chicken. not. Yeah, I mean, right? look, it's not that. No, it's the intestines, right? <laughs> I think haggis is a is a stomach, it's sheep stomach. Yeah. yeah. So right away, you're in territory that a lot of sensitive palates and sensibilities they're not going to go for that. I'm not going to like it. No. Right. Yeah, but I mean, there's other things. Scottish salmon. I, yes. I would argue some of the, maybe the best salmon in the world. It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Yeah, and the North Atlantic just, I don't know what's phenomenal. going on up there, but the Scott, the, you know, and then you got black pudding, I think is fish. another, another fish. Yeah, yes. scotch pie. If you get a really good scotch pie, that, that crust is, is, oh man, it's. Yes, and you can get delicious sausages and everything. It's all, there's good and bad in everything. And they have fresh produce, fresh vegetables, and you can go to great restaurants in Edinburgh. I, w- I remember one called Kitchen because the chef's actual name is Kitchen, Tom Kitchen. He doesn't spell it like, like Kitchen. It's with an I-N instead of an E-N. But he's one of the great chefs of the world. Kitchen, in his name. Yeah. That's so great. That's his almost name is Kitchen. The closest thing to that would be, uh, you know, with uh, Tito from Tito's Vodka, yeah. his last yeah. name is Beverage. Tito Beverage. That's fantastic. Tito's beverage is now worth about four billion dollars. That beverage, wow, uh, yeah, it, wow. I mean, I think he got offered more than that, but recent, not in the, in fairly recently, That's and he turned turned it down. There's a guy that started making that stuff in his garage, literally in his garage, started making it. Just the vodka, just the vodka. It's worth four billion. It's the number one vodka in America now, and it's going to close to being the number one vodka in the world. Tito's. How big is his garage now that he makes it? Because that's a lot. Crazy. That's a lot of. That's the thing is he's having problems with the zoning because the neighbors are like, "Hey, buddy, come on!" World supply of vodka. This garage. Their marketing is genius because you still have the impression as a consumer that Tito's is this little Austin brand. You know, that's what you get. That's you drink that when you're Austin. That's nice brand. And if you yeah. can find it, you're like, oh, that's the little vodka from Austin. You have no <laughs> idea it's a $4 billion by, company. By the way, Dan, do you think if Phil, let's say Phil did his show called Somebody Feed Phil, and he wound up headed towards Scotland, do you think we could tour? I'm already inviting myself. I think Allison Janney wanted to go, Phil, uh, also, she mentioned if we go to Scotland. Dan, could we go to the uh, Buna Haven? Um, Buna Haven. Buna Haven. Come on, get it Buna right. Haven right. Distillery. Dude, no. We're not it tastes of heaven. My dog wrong. will come at you hard if you mispronounce her name. It tastes of heaven. Yes, I heard it pronounced correctly, but what, what fun is pronouncing it correctly nine times? <laughs> but could we go to the Buna Haven uh, Distillery? Well, first off, I want to get some... I, I'm on this uh, hypothetical trip as well. I, I really feel like if I had one critique of somebody feed Phil, which I love the show, at some point you need to you know bring in a a dashing booze expert because you know the food, Phil. You're a, but maybe if we're in Scotland, we you notice I'm throwing me in there. If we're in Scotland, you could say, well, I brought along my friend Dan, who has been to Scotland so many times, 
and knows all of the distillers, and he's going to take us into the bowels of these distilleries where we're going to try some stuff that nobody gets to try, and we're going to eat it with Scottish but Dan, salmon. Sorry, yes. I thought you said dashing. So it's a you or a dashing guy. Like we it, have it, to well, decide. It, I, we can CGI. You can do the okay. fa- the deep fake. Most on my of face. the most of the mail that I get says your show needs more Dan Thumb. <laughs> I, I, I oh. concur. I concur. No, I, I would say this. Uh, I would love to, I would love to go to Scotland with you guys, even if I'm not on the show, just because I think it's a magical place. I've been all over the world visiting distilleries and wineries and whatnot. And Scotland is my top three for sure, because I love the people in that no matter where you're at if you're in Speyside if you're over on Isla if you're up in the Highlands if you go to Orkney Phil if I could recommend anything go to to Orkney which is it looks like something out of an apocalyptic novel it's the it's the highest point in Scotland it's an island nothing grows on Orkney because the wind is so strong plants and trees can't grow there and that's where they are wow, you're really selling it that's what no but i mean it's it's like you don't get to see it looks like something Sounds super like a tv tv nightmare it looks like something <laughs> supernatural it, it seems like you're almost on another planet it, it's so worth seeing i, I believe me yes. and that's where they make highland park but uh oh, scotland wow. is, you should have opened with that Dan. yeah scotland is such a it's such a magical place it really is and i say that to anybody that ever it. wants to go i loved edinburgh i really did i i i you know, the world is a beautiful place. There's so many beautiful places to go. I believe everything that you're saying. I want to do it. I would love for you guys to be there with me. By the way, it's Phil, just, yeah, yeah, sorry. Money let, let me, as Phil's think. agent, it's just about money. Yeah, Phil's agent, there's no budget for an extra cameraman, let alone a, let alone a drunk expert on scotch. Wait, wait. You are, you, are you guys suggesting that I would have I to finish, people. pay to go I to finished. Scotland? There's more, Phil. There's more. Yeah. Were you, you suggesting, to- Tom, that I would have to pay to go to Scotland? Um, you would have to pay to go to Scotland because I've overheard. I've been with Phil. When yeah. other people go, Phil, uh, in the next uh, time your show gets picked up, is there a budget for friends to go along? <laughs> and there's no they don't they don't they don't pay Phil. It's 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 a very low budget show. People be like, dude, I saw you on Phil's show, man. Did you? God, you must have made a lot of money. No, no, I I paid to go. You under you understand that I paid. Yeah, I know, right? Wait, well, <laughs> let me ask you, Phil. Is there gonna be? Is there gonna? I mean, people want to know, man. People love yeah. your show. Thank Are you. you going to do another episode of Somebody Feed Phil? Another season? Are, excuse me. There are factors in play. We're talking about it. We're negotiating. And we're waiting for the world to come back. So there's all these factors. But do I want to do it? Yes. And and I think so many people. I mean, I'll tell you, man, we had a lot of great guests on this show. But if and, and in fact, I'm realizing now that I screwed it up because uh, friends of mine are huge fans and they're not crazy people. They're they're <laughs> And they said, and I had this idea, which I'm now realizing that I didn't uh, follow through on, which was, hey, maybe we'll have. You, you guys, they're a couple from Chicago. Have you guys come on the Zoom and ask Phil a question? Any question you want to ask him. Dan, why don't you call them on speakerphone? Call them. On- they have built vacations around where you have gone. And, and not because yeah. they go. No, I've heard this. They said, yeah. Phil, his enthusiasm for what he's doing is like, we got to go there, you know, and. That's and I point. screwed it up. I messed it up. I should have had them on. Call them on speakerphone. Where are they Dan. now? Let me see. Call if them I on speakerphone. Let me see if I can get yeah, them. Call, because this is the dullest podcast ever up hey, to this point. Hey. And you have to now bring it up a notch. 
And I think, by the way, if, if it weren't for this delicious <laughs> scotch, I think Phil would have hung up about 20 minutes ago. You'd be intolerable. You take it easy there. <laughs> by the way, Phil, the fact that they built their vacations, like not like, hey, we checked out this one restaurant. He's saying they built their whole vacation destination. Yeah. Let me see if this I, works. I, uh, I take that responsibility seriously. That's why it's very, we curate the show very carefully because I know the power of television. And if yeah. people see a thing, if you're, if you're, if you're uh, uh, recommending it, that's going to mean something, if, especially if they like the show and like you. That, that I, I can't, I don't, I would, I would hate being responsible for someone having a terrible time, right? Right. And, and I think because when you see you eating it on camera, much like listening to you drinking the Buna Haben, it's like, I wouldn't mind tasting that. And so, yeah. uh, Dan, I think we learned just how important you are to these fans, these friends. She didn't, she, she didn't answer. This is going to be my, the best part's going to be when I go, she's going to hit me up later and go, what, I'm sorry, what was going on? I'm like, oh, I just was going to put you on with Phil. Well, should we leave a message? Let's leave a message. Well, I don't know that she's going to be able to, we'll do it after this, after the thing, because okay. she won't be able to hear because I'm on the headphones. Uh, Everybody okay. at home right now is going, what, what's happening right now? Um, I'm going to throw one more thing before I let you guys go, even though I don't want to let you go, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to do this. All right. You guys are both in the TV game. I'm going to name some TV characters, Phil. I want you to tell me if you can name their signature drink, the thing that they would drink on their shows. Okay. And, and, and again, gonna, Tom, feel I free. I think to I'm going to be bad at this. I, I, I already know that uh, Phil and I, there are fans, or super fans, and then there's uh, Phil and Tom who will not know me, an answer to any of them. All right, well, let's let me give you one, Dan. Okay, Raymond. Raymond. All right. Well, Ray didn't. Ray didn't drink, right? But what was his drink of choice? Oh, oh. soda, soda, diet soda. What did soda? he always have in the fridge? I don't remember. I can't. I don't have him. I mean, I remember that like uh, Frank would go to the lodge and drink beer. Uh, wait, wait, let me think. It was soda. It was a, it was a type of soda. Very good. It was, it wasn't Diet Coke. It wasn't Coke. Let me think. Wait, wait. I got, ah, uh, ginger ale. Wow, Dan. Ginger See, that's, ale. That's yes. It's going to be better than anything I'm going to get. Go well, ahead. Let, all right, let's see what you guys got here. Okay. Ray, Ray, yeah. Ray loved ginger ale in real life. This is an easy one. We'll start with an easy one. Homer Simpson. Beer. Beer. Duff beer. Duff beer. See, there you go. You guys are okay. Carrie Bradshaw, Sex in the City. Oh, a cosmopolitan. Cosmopolitan. See, you guys are great at this game. All right. Well, uh, Phil loves Sex in the City. That's okay. the reason you got Don Draper, Mad Men. Manhattan. I'm, I was going to say a Manhattan or bourbon. I was going to say. You were close with the Manhattan, another iconic drink in the same Old vein. Old fashioned. There you go. Old Phil. Fashion. Guys are nailing it. You're killing it. All right. Saul Goodman. Saul Goodman. Better call Saul. Who's it, It's bizarre, Phil. Oh, I, I watched that show. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's bizarre because you also know these people, Phil. These people have been <laughs> in your house. The creator of Mad Men. What does Saul Goodman Bob drink? Phil's, Phil's thing. All right, I'm going to give you a hint, Phil. Please. The One of the two ingredients in this drink is the what we're drinking now, the category we're drinking now. It, Scotch and soda? No, Tom, care to venture. It's, there's two ingredients in this drink. Now it is a blended Sco scotch. Blended scotch is in this drink. But uh, okay, Johnny Black. It could be. What do you, what do you want? Okay. But it, it's it, a blended scotch and and something else. Soda, scotch. Did he say scotch and soda? Phil already? said that, and that was incorrect. Okay, and what if I say it? Is it still incorrect? 
you can try. <laughs> Give it a shot. Do you know any other scotch drinks that contain just one other ingredient? It's not a mixer. The other ingredient has alcohol in it as well. Oh, look at him now. He's thinking. Oh, wait, not a, not a, uh, not a, uh, not like a depth charge or something. A black and tan? Nope. A rusty nail. Oh, rusty nail. Drambuie, which is a honey honey liqueur. Drambuie. Wait, how many times has he had that? I don't know that it was. Yeah. Well, you know, hey, man, I started you guys off with the easy stuff. Now we're going hard. All right. I got one. So I got to know a character from one episode he had a drink. Come on. (laughs) Okay. How about this? Michael Scott from The Office. No idea. Tom. Nope. It's never what, seen one episode. I never saw him drink. It's not like he drinks a lot, but there's is a very famous yeah. moment on the show. Scotch and Splenda. Scotch and Splenda. Oh, and he said, funny. "Tastes that's like funny. Splenda, gets drunk like Scotch." And oh. then, and then the final one. And if you know this, I'll be impressed. Liz Lemon from Thirty Rock. Liz Lemon. No idea. No idea. And wait, wait, wait. Let me qualify. Phil. Doesn't have any idea. And he's been on the show. He's been in the show. <laughs> Phil's the. Yes. Yeah, so she didn't drink in front of me. Wait, that's right. I remember. Wait, what happened when you were on? I'm trying. I'm, this, I played myself. Yeah. You were a guest I on the show. Pro- I played a producer that they thought was going to finance a production if I could be in it. And Alec Baldwin brought me in. I was so intimidated by Alec Baldwin that I forgot all my lines because he's so brilliant and he's so good. And he's so like, he has this energy that he's going to kill you. Even if he's not angry with you, he's just going to kill you just to have something to do. <laughs> and and I just, I just, I, it's never happened to me before. And I've been with, you know, I think some good people, big, big stars. This guy, I don't know why. Scares the shit out of me. And Phil, it was it a stretch because you were playing yourself, so you got you got verklempt playing yourself. It wasn't had nothing to do with what I was supposed to say. It wouldn't have mattered if I said ah, your line is "Happy Birthday." I would have forgotten it because <laughs> nice. he was right on top of you, like this, looking at yeah. you and in it. And I realized, oh, I'm a total fraud. I can't do this. <laughs> you were like, "What's my motivation here?" My yes. motivation is to live through the next moment. Don't wet my pants. It's a Liz Lemon's drink. This, and you'd have to yes. be a big 30 Rock fan to get this. A, a lemon drop? Funky juice. Funky juice. White wine, ice cubes, and Sprite. And she said she kept a thermos of it on her toilet. Funky juice. Oh. Yeah. It's disgusting and funny. <laughs> so in, funny. Yeah. In, in every way. Yeah. By the way. Sorry, uh, keep going, Dan. Unless you no, want that's it. That's the end. Of, that's the end of that. I, I thought that was a fun game, and you guys came out. You came out of the gate hot, and then well, it was easier. And then, yeah, well, you know, I it got uh, it got harder. I will say that. I will concede. By the way, if I don't know if this would be on the list of Phil's Desert Island drinks, Scotch, but uh, I would. Yeah. I'm adding this to mine. So I've yeah. never had the twelve. I know you mentioned the twenty-five, and I yeah, guess you you I've did had that. It. You've had the twenty-five, Philip. Yeah. Wow. In fact, I I I had a bottle of it and it's gone. It's so oh. good, and and again, I mean, yeah. you know, people listen to this show regularly. No, I, I I try not to have stuff on here that I don't like, so I'm always going. I like this. I like this. I like this. But I, you know, I named my dog after this. <laughs> That's all that needs to be said. You know, it's I, I it's I don't have any children. I'm gonna have to one up you. Okay. I'm gonna one up you. I'm going to name my next kid after this. How's that? Oh, my. Come on. Nice. I'll, we'll come, I'll come over one day and Phil will go, this is Boona. I'll be, damn you, Phil. You stole my name. I, I love it that, that this is how important it is to Dan is 
He still is drinking Buna. His dog is named Buna, and that girlfriend is long gone. Mm-hmm. So I think. Uh, By the way, Tom, how is your uh, son Four Loco going? For 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 Fortaleza, my for, son, no for for loco for loco for loco. <laughs> Sorry, how's he Much doing? Cheaper. <laughs> Fantastic. He's a little tipsy. They banned for loco. That's how bad it was for you. They were like, yeah, you can't make this anymore. In a world where Mad Dog exists, where so many things exist, you know, it, it, they were like, nope, this one's a bridge too far. We got to ban it. So, guys, um, I yes. think I think Phil told us possibly maybe there's going to be another season. Of somebody feeds Phil. I, I you know what? I'm, I know that we're working be. on it. It's not a done deal. Okay, Game done. And yeah, so, I didn't but, hear. Uh, you never know. And Tom, I didn't hear. So I didn't hear an official announcement. But I do know, Dan, if Phil does another season and he goes to Scotland, you and I will be on the same airplane going to Scotland, paying our we own way. On, we won't. We'll be paying our own way. We won't be on the show. But at least we can point to the production and say we we know him over there. Yeah. No, I, if, you, I, I, if you can get there, just like Tom happened to be in Korea when we shot the Korea show, Tom was then in the show in a couple of scenes, right? And it was fantastic. It, it was. We loved it. Yeah, the food is was insane, and it's just and I and I can tell you that Phil's enthusiasm is genuine, whether there's cameras rolling or not rolling, or whether you're eating something. So I still think about that Korean barbecue that we had the last day. The last day, if you watch the Seoul uh, Korea episode that filled in. Army stew, buddy. Army stew. I no, not, we like that. I want that. That was good. That was, great. That was good as well. But the last, uh, the last dinner that we actually did have where Phil brings all the people together was so stunningly delicious. And you feel we, bad we because. Yeah. Go ahead, Phil. It's the kind of thing where, you know, if uh, you're lucky enough to live in Los Angeles, you can have a lot of Korean barbecue. But when you go to the source. When you go to Seoul, South Korea, and have their best, what they consider their best one, uh, 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 crazy. Phil, was that the same episode with the giant crab? Was that Korea? Yes. yes. I mean, that, that thing, was pretty awesome, that too. That thing, it yeah. was, I remember you were upstairs, right? You went to, it yes. was like a little, yes. nothing, yes. No, no, none of the places that you went to in that episode, I don't recall yeah. any of them having a lot of bells and whistles. None of it seemed fancy, but it just seemed like it was unbelievable food there was a fancy one in the right in the middle there where i took the uh, a man and his son who had never had tried fancy foods and that and this was a, a famous chef who has a, a restaurant in new york even and and he was doing you know it's pretty much a you know three michelin star place okay. and so that was one with all the bells and whistles and then i think we would agree that that korean barbecue had plenty of bells and whistles because the quality of all the meats that we were eating and all the ingredients that we were having was like first class all the way. It was you, incredible. You had a K-pop star on that one as well. What did I you did. Guys, what did you I guys did. eat? Did you eat hot dogs? We ate hot dogs? Uh, fried chicken and beer. Oh, fried chicken and beer. That, I knew it was something huge. Yeah. That's a huge thing. And uh, if you come over in Koreatown, there's a ton of Korean fried chicken places. And the Korean fried chicken is awesome. I just want to get we, out of the house. Uh, D- Dan, we, <laughs> we should have lunch uh, with Phil someday uh, in, near Koreatown. Um, just I don't know when that invite is going to come from Phil, but don't, don't wait well, around. Well, we did an episode of your show from a lounge in Koreatown. I remember. Oh, that's true. Wait, At the Lion. We... Mama Lion. Oh, that's right. We did Mama Lion. Right? Yeah, that's correct. And did and we then... eat after? When you did the podcast with Phil at Mama Lion, they sent over food. 
And you said afterwards, it's so hard to record because you're getting the sound of chewing throughout. <laughs> yes. Right. So for Phil, you when you're sh- Phil, you your show is chewing that 90 percent of your show is chewing. So it's a tough challenge. It's just like drinking show is pretty easy because you just take a sip. But chewing, <laughs> eating, it is a challenge because you have to look graceful while you're eating. Uh, let me tell you how I do it. You ready? Yes. Yep. This is wait. I this is Phil's secret. I don't care. <laughs> That's a great one. I honestly don't. I never have thought about it. I've heard this that this is an issue for podcasts and whatnot. It has never come up in DMs to me or mail to me or comments to me. We can't watch that show because of the eating and talking. In fact, I said once in the show, it's going to be a t-shirt. I think even life short, talk with your mouth full. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Who cares people? Everybody talks and everybody eats. And yeah. unless you're disgusting, well, I, 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 yeah, eating with your mouth, you know, chewing with your mouth open. Yeah, that's could be unappealing. But I really don't think about it. On a podcast, it doesn't work because there's that disconnect. You're not seeing the visual. So for you know, if I'm watching you, Phil, and I'm watching you eat, I'm seeing that food and it looks so delicious. Yes. I, I, now I'm I'm hearkening back to the one you did in Chicago, and yes. you ate that big sandwich that looked it was the messiest sandwich in the world and it looks so good while you're eating so of course but now if you took out the video element of that it would not be pleasant people would be home they would would sound like elephants farting yeah exactly so well listen guys uh phil rosenthal tom caltabiano i i love having you guys on and i I, i'm glad that we got to drink some scotch yeah and uh anything else any parting words i I would by the way i would do i would do every podcast with buna haben Maybe that's your key to success. <laughs> At Just least, keep bringing yeah. it in. Tom, Tom is like, he's been converted. He loves no, it. No, I love, I really love, I've never had this. I've never, Dan had a bottle of 25 at his house. I said, Dan, can I try it? And he said, I don't think so. And so now I'm trying <laughs> it for the first time and it's delicious. Guys, love having you on. Great to Phil's see you. Final, sorry, Phil's final thoughts. I, I cut him off. Go ahead, Phil. Oh, uh, life short. Talk with your mouthful. There you go. Hi, I'm Allison Janney, and you're here with me on What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. And that's my sexy voice. Boom.